if you have the best people analytics team in the world, but you don't have a data-driven HR function, then you're not going to deliver uh, the value at scale uh, that, you, that you're seeking. Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to episode two of series 19 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. You just heard Steve Scott, Managing Director and Global Head of Workforce Management and Analytics at Standard Chartered Bank, talking about the critical importance of developing a data-driven culture in HR in order for people analytics to deliver sustainable value to the business. Throughout this episode, Steve and I talk about how the field of people analytics is evolving and how to develop a data-driven culture for HR. It's not just about the skill sets of, of the HR colleagues. No. That's, that's a part of it. It's about the technology that we're using. It's about the availability of data. Um, and that's why it's critical for analytics leaders like myself to really understand what, what are the blockers um, that HR professionals have in, in accessing the data, understanding the data, interpreting the data, using the data effectively in their roles. It's not enough for people analytics leader to say it's up to them to upskill themselves. It's, it's, not just a, it's not just about skills, it's about access. Throughout this episode, Steve and I discuss building an effective talent marketplace that functions in a hybrid work environment. We talk about the transformation of people analytics at Standard Chartered to a value adding function. We talk about how to ensure that the field continues to address business challenges first and foremost, and the future of people analytics. And we look at the role of the CHRO and the people analytics leader in developing a data-driven culture for HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Steve Scott, Global Head of Workforce Management and Analytics at Standard Charter to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Steve, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and also share some details on your role at Standard Charter? Absolutely. Thank you, David. Thank you for inviting me along today. Um, by way of a, an intro, uh, Steve Scott, as you say, uh, Head of People Insight and Analytics at Standard Chartered. Um, my background really has been predominantly in financial services. I, I dread to say it, but now over 20 years in financial <laughs> services. Uh, and that's been across different divisions. So it's, uh, it's time spent in private banking, retail banking, insurance and wealth, corporate banking, uh, and in multiple disciplines as well. So everything from sales and distribution, finance, product management, operations, um, so 20 years in, in that kind of environment, and I, I now describe that as my 20-year apprenticeship, which led me into my first HR role and my first people analytics role at Lloyds Banking Group a few years ago. Uh, spent a couple of years there before moving across to Standard Chartered um, just over two years ago now. Um, so a little bit of an unusual background, if you like, but I you know, really get a lot of value from that experience of working with the business, mm. uh, bringing that business perspective, that commercial commercial focus, if you like, um, and, and making sure that we're always you know, looking for the value opportunities in, in people analytics. Yeah, we always say, you know, people analytics is really about solving problems for the business. And, you know, so I, I imagine having a background in the business, particularly in the same industry in which you're now doing people analytics yeah. is, is a great help. Absolutely. I, I've been in those roles. I've experienced those business challenges myself. So I can, I can, speak the business language, if you like, mm. uh, and then translate that back into my team uh, with others, of course, who are, who are fulfilling that kind of partnership role with uh, our HR colleagues and our business colleagues. But yeah, bringing that sharp commercial focus, that business awareness has, has been really important for me in, in both our 
time at Lloyd's in this role and, and obviously here at Standard Chartered. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about the work at, at Standard Chartered. Um, so, you know, what are some of the big changes and business challenges that you're seeing impact your role in HR at Standard Chartered at the moment? Well, lots going on, isn't there? There, there? there is a lot. And actually, before we've been able to deal with these challenges, we've had to be on a bit of a transformation journey uh, within my own team. Uh, I inherited a team that were predominantly focused on hindsight reporting, operational reporting. So we set out on a, on a, a really exciting journey, a transformational journey, multi-year, uh, that will allow us to pivot away from focusing only on um, the hindsight reporting, but supplementing that now with more insight and more analytics. Uh, so I talk about the hindsight, insight, foresight model yeah. that we're trying to build. Uh, so we're well progressed onto that on that journey now. Uh, and thankfully, because the, the business has got lots of uh, really fascinating um, challenges, opportunities for us to wrangle with and, and support, um, I don't think we're unique in Standard Chartered that a lot of our time is, is occupied thinking about the future of work and, and the reimagination of, of work. Where, where will work get done? What work will get done? How will it get done? What skills do we need to, um, to think about for, those, uh, for, that, for that new work in the future? So a couple of big things that we're working on at the moment. Um, one, for example, is understanding more deeply working practices. Yeah. Uh, particularly as they're evolving in a more flexible, hybrid world, uh, and trying to understand exactly how those working practices are correlating then with colleague sentiment around how they feel, what's the difference in their perception of, of coming to work, their employee experience, if you like, when they're working hybrid, when they're working remote, or when they're working uh, purely from an office. And then how does that, that, that insight on working practices and, and sentiment towards working practice, how, how does that help us understand um, the connection between business and colleague outcomes. Because if we can get to understand that, then we know which levers to pull yeah. to drive better outcomes for both colleagues and, of course, the, of course, the business. So that's really fascinating work that we're, we've been working on for uh, most of 2021 and into 2022. Um, another one that we're working on, again related to the future of work, is, is around strategic workforce planning and trying to understand in more detail, more granularity, the future composition of our workforce, not just its size, but its its shape and its skills and its uh, how much it's the spend attached to that, that future workforce. And so we're getting into really being able to identify which roles we would call sunrise. So these are the new roles that we're going to have to grow yeah. uh, across the organisation to help us deliver our strategic goals, as well as sunset roles. So which are the roles that we, we're not going to need as many of or any of mm. in, in years to come? Um, and then fascinating by looking at skills adjacency across those different types of uh, roles, able to identify talent pools of colleagues who are maybe in sunset roles, but have got a lot of overlap with some of the skills that we need for the sunrise roles. And so through some POCs, proofs of concept, we've been able to look at these cohorts, put them through a reskilling program to support their redeployment into the sun rise roles. Yep. Um, fantastic, massive opportunity for colleagues to, you know, to build a, a more sustainable career, um, real focus on their upskilling and reskilling. So great colleague benefit, but clearly a commercial benefit as mm. well in terms of the, the saved costs of uh, exits and, and hires. So uh, a win, uh, you know, a, a really good example of a win-win that is, is great for the colleagues and great for the business. And we'll definitely come back to the skills question in a bit. I just want to talk about the, the first one. Um, 
because in many respects, we're in this huge experiment at the moment. You know, every organization in the world yes. around remote, hybrid, in-office working. And it's so important that analytics is part of that conversation, isn't it? Because mm. there's lots of opinions around, um, you know, yeah. about how many days how many days at home versus how many days in the office and mm. there's no simple answer for this even in the same organization even in the same team sometimes because uh, uh, you know some of it will come down to employee preferences and te yeah. how teams operate so yes. it's, it's so important that analytics is involved in that absolutely and and we were brought in really early as part of that journey we made a very bold courageous decision mm. at standard charter that we wanted to offer increased levels of flexibility the opportunity to do hybrid working um, so this is not, you know, work that I'm doing to validate that decision or to to test for whether or not that's not the right decision. We've made that decision. We're going for that. Uh, it's more to understand how working practices are evolving, so we can optimize from that decision. How we, how we make sure it's really adopted, embedded uh, into our organisation. Again, for the benefit of our colleagues and for the benefits of the, the business, we want to drive productivity. Of course, we want to do it in a way that supports our colleagues from a well-being perspective from a growth and development perspective, that they still feel included, part of the corporate culture. Um, so really exciting stuff. And, and the, the way I kind of think about it is, how do working practices inform people, productivity, um, performance, and, and culture? And it's those four lenses that we're, mm. we're looking at this through. And of course, then there's a the whole workplace itself. So if we are going to be in a more hybrid world, are we going to use workplaces differently from how we've used them in the past? Is it going to be for more collaborative work, innovation work, obviously customer customer work as well. Yes, yeah. And and how do we design our workplaces maybe differently to, to actually foster that collaboration innovation? Yeah, absolute workplace design is, is critical. So property teams are part of this discussion as well. Um, and right now we're asking colleagues, when you're doing different types of work, which do you feel, which location best suits the type of work that you're doing on a day-to-day, a week-to-week -day, -week basis? Uh, so we can use that insight then to shape that that workplace design and, and the way that work is designed for the future. Fascinating. I mean, so people analysis is a great place to be because there's just new things coming in all the Absolutely. time that that we're that we're yes. working on as yeah. a as a function. So let's 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 continue to talk about COVID. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about COVID still at the moment, and then look more into the the skills area. You know, if we look at the impact of COVID, which has been significant again on every organisation at mm. different times, sometimes in different geographies. And the need for more rapid talent deployment within within organisations. Can you share some of the more of the detail around the work you've done to build a talent marketplace at, at Standard Chartered, and and how you addressing that reskilling challenge that, that that you talked about? Yes, um, you're absolutely right. COVID's accelerated us towards some of these themes around the future of the future of work. Talent marketplace is something that we launched as a pilot initially. Um, and it was driven by, uh, we could hear from our colleague uh, listening, uh, that colleagues wanted more opportunities for growth and development. Uh, and we felt Talent Marketplace would be a great way to do that, to allow them to put themselves forward, um, to, to kind of say, look, these are skills that I want to learn, or these are skills that I want to offer, uh, and, and deploy in a different part of the group, uh, to build my organizational awareness, whatever it might be, you know, from a colleague's perspective. So we launched that initially in a few a few countries, and it was a huge success. Um, we could see the active participation of those colleagues in those uh, pilot uh, countries. Uh, but what we could see was not only we were able to match these opportunities with with colleagues, 
but it was starting to foster a real culture of, of talent mobility, mm. um, which we wanted to foster, of course, and, and, and to, to nurture that. So we made the decision then to go global, uh, and it's still fairly early days, uh, but we've now got over, I think, 11,000 registered users. We've completed over over 500 project assignments, colleagues matched with with projects, if you like. Um, And we've translated that into additional productivity hours. So that's all discretionary effort, if you like, that that talent marketplace has created. Um, So absolutely, it meets the colleagues' needs that they were asking for. We're creating this environment for them to tap into opportunities to support their development and growth. But through it, we're finding considerable productivity gains, all of this extra discretionary effort. The teams are finding capacity and capability where they may have had shortfalls. Mm. Um, so really powerful stuff. And we've even now opened that up to mentoring relationships. And I think as of, as of today, we had about two or 300 mapped mentors to mentees, uh, again, helping those colleagues with their growth and development opportunities. Uh, so talent marketplaces is, is um, proven to be really successful for us. Reskilling, I think if you then look at strategic workforce planning, this is again, back to the points I made earlier, it's around how do we understand the, the, the future evolution of our workforce? How do we understand where the, the roles are going to be uh, automated through technology? Where, how they're going to be um, augmented through technology? Yeah. Or, or what additional roles are going to be required to support the, 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 you know, the, embrace, the embracing of technology? Um, and then looking at what that means in terms of the capabilities uh, that, that uh, result from those changes. Um, it, but if it's all about foresight, I talked about hindsight, insight, foresight. This has given us a two-year, three-year view to give us time to build the appropriate interventions that we need to make sure that there are no gaps, that we have the workforce that we need in the future. And it allows us to do it in a way that is as employee-centric as we can possibly make it by providing them with reskilling opportunities, redeployment opportunities, leveraging from talent marketplace as one of the channels that we can use to, to build that capability out. So the two are really intrinsically mm-hmm. linked, actually. Uh, and what's really fascinating for me, I think we'll, we'll, you know, we're still exploring, is how we can connect the two. Because if strategic workforce planning can give us that global view, if you like, the high-level view of how the workforce is uh, evolving and changing, talent marketplace becomes a channel through which we can start to create that future workforce. Um, yes, we can you know, deploy talent to where it matters most in terms of the capacity and capability shortfalls that we've got. Colleagues are getting the, the benefit of the, the, the learning and growth opportunities that presents, and we're getting all of that productivity uplifted as, as a result. So again, it's a, it's a brilliant win-win because we're building the workforce that we need for the future in terms of capabilities, but we're doing it in a way that's colleague-centric and is business-centric because it's it's supporting increased levels of productivity. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, Ian and I, who the producer of the show, by the way, fun fact, uh, were talking about how you know, looking using skills as the kind of data the, the data source almost helps break yeah. down traditional silos in HR and learning, talent development, strategic workforce planning because yeah. it's the common data source that could underpin all three in the future. We had Anshul Shiapuri from IBN on, a, uh, on the show a few weeks ago, and he talked about skills as a silver thread mm. that kind of links all this together. But that skills data ultimately, obviously, 
people analytics teams are going to be at the forefront of that, doing the work that your team's been doing around understanding skills adjacencies, for example. Yeah. And as you said, driving internal mobility, which is great for colleagues, great for the business as well, and then great for the foresight piece that you are talking about because then you can understand, okay, we've got a good understanding of, of what we can grow and what we can build. So now we probably can understand whether the gap better so we can understand about where we might need to buy talent in the future. And we've got data that tells us where we could potentially buy that talent because it's it, the supplies in abundance in different parts yeah. of the world where standard chartered is. Totally, and I think, you know, SWP Strategic Worth Planning, in the same way any insight or analytics piece of work is only of any value when it's translated into actions mm. to drive the impact that you're, that you're seeking. Talent marketplace, in many ways, is the, is the, is the mechanism built by which you can convert strategic workforce planning insights into actions that directly impact colleagues positively uh, to support their, their reskilling, uh, their, you know, their growth into the, into the future roles that we need and the future skills that we need for an organization. Yeah, and as you said, it's been accelerated really over the last two and a bit years since uh, since the pandemic started. You know, we've had lots of people on the show who's talked about how it's fast forwarded the future of work by five or ten years. Yes, but actually, it has. You yes. know, it's, it sounds totally. like a trite statement to me, but it actually has. Totally. I think the other thing, I'd, uh, the point I'd make about talent marketplace is, it's another source of data to help us understand the future. Um, skills and capabilities for our organization because it's it's coming from the colleagues it's coming from the teams who are saying I need more of this skill I need more of that skill um, so we we absolutely look at the the inputs from all of the teams who are putting projects up onto onto the marketplace and looking at the the capabilities that they're asking for and we're then validating that against what we're, we're seeing at the at the SWP that we're doing at the at the organizational level to see if there's anything that we're missing. Uh, so it's it's a great way to kind of get the colleagues' view of mm. future capabilities or, or at least capability gaps as they see them today. And also moves us away from that kind of fixed mindset around a job to actually what are the skills that I've got as an employee and, you know, yeah, okay, I'll spend 75% of my time doing this, but maybe 25% of my time because I've got these skills, I can be doing some of these other projects rather than just doing one job in, in one place. Yeah, yeah, just changing the way that work gets done. Fantastic. Yeah, that's it. Well, I think I think this is going to evolve more over over the coming years. So you talked about you know the people analytics field in general, and your team in particular, as you described earlier, being focused on the transformation journey and moving from a reporting or hindsight function, as as you said, to a value adding insight and foresight um, function. You know, what does that mean around the skills in your team, and what do you need in your team to ensure that that work delivers value to the business? Because some of the skill sets around to mm. do those different parts of the hindsight, insight, foresight part are different. Yes. Well, even before I got to think about the skills, the, f- the first thing we looked at for our team as part of its transformation, what is the vision for the yeah. team? What are we trying to do? What's our, what's our North Star, if you like, um, for, for people inside analytics? And, and for us, it was all about how do we unlock value from people data? How do we drive impact at a business level and a colleague level? economically or culturally, if you like. Um, so defining that as, as our vision, you know, we're wanting to move from hindsight insight into foresight. We're wanting to democratize uh, data and insights and, and analytics so we can do this at scale. That, that was really the starting point. Mm. Um, we then translated that uh, vision into a service offering uh, because we want to be very, very clear with our, with our, our customers, our stakeholders, our colleagues in HR, that these were the products and services that we were setting out to deliver. 
I think over time, service offerings from people inside analytics teams can become diluted. People can forget what they're really there for. Yeah. And, and that can sometimes be the reason why they get pushed into reporting factories, if you like. Uh, so we wanted to be really explicit that we were offering, yes, absolutely reporting, but we wanted to offer insight, we wanted to offer analytics, and we wanted to offer workforce planning and strategic workforce planning. Um, so you've got your vision, you've got your service offering. Then was the, the operating model. How could I make sure that work would flow through really efficiently and effectively from, from the requester through to the realisation of the, of the benefits, if you like, of the work that we were doing? Uh, so structuring um, an operating model processes were, that were value-focused to make sure we were prioritising work that had the highest impact um, and didn't just stop when we produced the insight or the analytics, but stopped once we'd realised the, the value. Um, once you've defined your, your operating model, then, then it came into the, the team structure and the roles and the capabilities. So one of the things we were able to do was automate a lot of our um, manually produced reporting in order to release capacity. Yeah. Um, and then we've been able to repoint those roles into um, more of, uh, we call them analyst partners. So the translator roles, if you like, that are engaging with our HR our, our colleagues uh, to understand their requirements and, and to provide consultancy around those those their needs. Um, we've brought in more advanced analytics capabilities into the team. We've brought in some, uh, even some change management expertise yeah. into the into the team to help us build. Can be overlooked. Data so often. Yeah, yeah, we were we were very guilty of, you know, sending out a new product, a new dashboard, a new report without consideration for how we'll make sure that this is landing, mm. that it's effective, that it's giving people what they what they need uh, and that they're able to use it effectively. So some change management effort as well. So yeah, that's, uh, but it stemmed from being able to really be clear that we wanted to do reporting insight and analytics and then structure the team around around that service offering. Yeah, and it's right. I mean, when Jonathan and I were, were writing the book, you know, we saw that teams that actually had that vision and set that vision, took the time to set that vision at the start was so important not just because it mobilizes a team around a, a common vision, but because it sets expectations with your customers, both inside and outside HR, it's so important. Yes, and, it, and it, equally, it helped guide the colleagues in the team to inform the decisions that they needed to make every single day. So it's given them the framework within which mm. we wanted to operate. Uh, I didn't want to be there having to explain and justify every decision that we made. I wanted the colleagues to be empowered to, to take the decisions that they needed to. So they just needed that framework, that vision, um, that that clarity of where we were headed as a, headed as a team, so that they could take them the, the appropriate decisions day to day, knowing that yes, that decision will move us closer towards our our end state, towards our north star. And that that productization sort of element of people analytics, which we certainly seen through through our research, is increasing in the sort of more advanced and bigger functions that such as yourselves. And and it's so important to scale analytics, but. And as you said, that's why you need that change element because you can't just be throwing products out and expect people to snap up. You need to help guide people to actually use them. Yeah. And it helps you improve them as well, ultimately. Yes. So so at the beginning now of a request, we, we, we talk with the, the stakeholder and want to understand absolutely what is the business problem at hand or the business opportunity. And we work with them to uh, estimate a return on investment of the work. What's the value of this work? What are the measures of, of success that we can use to track if this work is effective and, and delivers what we expect it to deliver. Um, and, and so the, the work then will progress based on prioritization around value, 
but it doesn't stop again when when the pack's been produced and the insight shared. It stops when we've hit those measures of success. Yeah, uh, still early days in, in this. This is something we're still we're still deploying, um, but we're really excited about this. And and the response that we've had from stakeholders has not been oh it's not another form because we didn't want to make it another form. We want to make it a, a discussion. Yeah, um, a, a collaboration between uh, people in analytics and, and HR stakeholders, and they're they're you know welcoming this. You know, they want to better understand the, their own business problems and, and appreciate the consultancy and thought leadership we can we can provide to, to, to challenge and provoke their thinking. Um, so we've had little to no resistance to this at all. Um, so yeah, that's that's again all helping to drive this at scale because uh, we can't work in isolation in, in in an insights and analytics team. We have to do this in collaboration with okay. HR and, and effectively foster a, again a, a data driven. HR culture. When we come back in just a moment, Steve shares his views on the connections between a data-driven culture for HR and delivering business value. Every single day, your people are sharing how they feel and what they need from where they work. Are you listening? Are you taking action? You can with Medallia. Medallia, a global leader in employee experience management, empowers people leaders with the most comprehensive set of experience tools to help you act confidently in times of uncertainty. Medallia helps you shorten the window between insights and action, building trust, fostering innovation, and activating the untapped power of your people. Visit www.medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. That's medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Steve Scott, Global Head of Workforce Management and Analytics at Standard Chartered Bank. Now, let's get back to the conversation. So let's talk more about creating that data-driven culture in HR, which I know is something that you're passionate about. Mm. Firstly, thank you for contributing a, a case insight on the work that you're doing at Standard Chartered to, to our annual People Analytics Trends Report. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the connection between a data-driven culture for HR, the strength of the People Analytics team, and delivering business value? Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think these two things are so intrinsically linked. If, if you have the best people analytics team in the world, but you don't have a data-driven HR function, then you're not going to deliver uh, the value at scale uh, that you, you that you're seeking. Uh, so I, I see both of them as absolutely critical to 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 my role and and to the transformation of the team. I, I don't even see them as separate entities, if you like. It's one in the same thing. Uh, if we're driven by a vision to unlock value from people data, I, I need to address both the the transformation of the team, but also the the building of uh, data confidence, data competence in uh, in and across uh, HR. It's only through that that I can you know truly deliver the value that we're seeking to deliver through at scale across across the group. Yeah, and that's so right. As you said, you need to be doing the two things in parallel. And I speak to some of your peers, they say, well, just we're building the capability in the team first, and then we'll start thinking about capability levels in HR. But you need to do them both together. Do them both at the same time. Yeah, it's one in the same thing. Um, it's, you know, as you're building new reports, as you're building new insights, as you're working on use cases, that's the opportunity to do it in a way that brings in your HR colleagues 
um, involves them in the work, you develop that collaborative partnership, and then through that, you're building their data competence, their data competence, and, and ultimately then supporting that data-driven uh, HR culture. And it's something to create sustainable capability in people analytics. So some of the organizations I've seen over the years where they've got a great team and they've actually been doing some great work, but they haven't sort of paid attention to developing that culture in HR. A couple of people leave the team, the leader, maybe a couple other people, yeah. and suddenly it all falls down. Not sustainable. Whereas you're creating something, that, a legacy almost, that, that can continue and, and continue to grow as well. Yeah, and I think there are two aspects to it. I, I think, first of all, our, our HR colleagues can be the eyes and ears for a people in insight analytics team. They, they are closer to the business or they're closer to the HR products that are being developed. And, and so they can come to us if they know what our product service offering is, they know how we can help, how we can support, how we can add value. Um, if they've got that data centricity, mm. they're more likely to be able to, to spot the opportunities for people in site analytics support. Um, especially if they're value obsessed as well, and they come with you know with a real clear understanding of the, the value opportunity, the business problem that they're trying to 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 solve for. Um, so that's one aspect. It's kind of improving, if you like, the quality of use cases that an insight analytics team are asked to support because the requesters are, are, are more um, data savvy. Let's yeah. say uh, the other is to do this at scale again to deliver value at scale. You don't want the insight and analytics team to become the bottleneck. No. You need to have the insight and analytics democratized across across HR. Um, now that doesn't mean that's not you know down to the people insight and analytics team because they can be the ones that ensure that our HR colleagues have got access to the right data, uh, that they understand the data that we're offering, that they can leverage fully from the tools that we're supporting them with. Um, to maximise their ability to self-serve. Um, so if you get both right, you, you're really then tapping into uh, using the Insight Analytics team for the highest value, most complicated advanced analytic elements, if you like, of, of the use cases. Um, because the business partners, the COEs, the spotting opportunities to bring to the People Insight Analytics team. But at the same time, You've got the entire HR function working in a data-centric way, yeah. looking to make evidence-based decision-making. Put those two together, then you get the scalability. And, and, you know, what, and what, what are some of the things you've been doing at Standard Charter to build a data-driven culture for HR? And, and, and what do you plan to do moving forwards? It'd be great to hear that, because I think we get a lot of questions you know, from people. How do you actually do that? Lots and lots of things, and, and there's no one thing that no, I would say unfortunately. that's the silver bullet. <laughs> some things we do and, and they work, some things they do and they don't land, and so it's, it's continuously thinking about uh, innovative things that we can do, and I'll, I'll come on to them, but I think before before that, it's, it's worthwhile talking about the importance of the CHRO uh, in this, because they, they really do set the tone mm. uh, around the, the criticality of building a a, a, a data-driven HR function. Uh, so their words uh, around that are really important, but not as important as their actions. So an, a CHRO who role models, if you like, using data, who is hungry for data, um, leans in to shape the insights that they're looking for, to have the conversations that they're having with their management team peers. Uh, that role modeling is really, really powerful. It's, 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 you know, as a people analytics lead, that's what you want. I'm very lucky that I've got absolutely that in, in, in our CHRO, CHRO at Standard Chartered. Uh, so that sets the tone, if you like, and the expectation amongst the rest of HR that then people analytics leader can then leverage from. 
some of the things though that we've done um well firstly i've looked to embed uh, members of my leadership team into our hr management teams respective leadership teams yeah. if that makes sense so they don't just turn up periodically at a leadership team meeting to present a 10-minute update on the things that we're doing in people insight analytics they're effectively becoming embedded parts of those HRMT members' leadership teams. They're an extension of that leadership team. So they're a visible reminder at all times in every one of those meetings of, of what we're there to do and, and what, how we might be able to support. And they can chip into those conversations to say, oh, that might be an opportunity we can help with. Um, we secured investment for a, a learning platform for HR professionals focused on insight analytics and, and of course I'm, I'm talking about my HR future but that's an, uh, something that we've rolled out to hundreds and hundreds of HR colleagues to help them um, upskill themselves. Um, we've done things like newsletters where we send out regular updates on the use cases that we're involved in uh, to raise awareness across the you know the wider HR fraternity as to the things that we can do that we're doing create some healthy competition if you like amongst HR to think well if that team are doing that, why don't we do yeah, that? And, yeah. uh, I never realized that was something that we could do or that might be something we could, that can help me in my day job. So that's really fostering uh, a greater awareness and advocacy for what we can do as a team. Um, we are, I'm sponsoring a, a cohort of colleagues that are looking at the future skills of an HR function and we've identified you know, the top four or five key skills that we think are required for HR professionals. Data is one of those, as you'd expect. So sponsoring that, working with colleagues to shape up a learning program to supplement my HR future um, will hopefully, you know, in the months and, and, and years ahead, uh, continue to build that HR uh, confidence and confidence in, in using data. Um, we've done things like um, a playbook for our country heads of HR, and we included a chapter solely focused on, on data. Again, trying to take it right down to that, that role, that country head of HR role, and to show them in their role how they can use data to unlock value. Uh, many more, but just yeah. trying to be as innovative, creative, and um, cover as many bases as we possibly can with different interventions. And you do have a great advocate in Tanush, your CHRO. I mean, she was on our show a couple of years ago now. Yes. And she was talking about it then and, you know, with other CHROs, you know, she's quite prominent in the market talking about how this helps the bank, helps the organisation, helps employees, links towards employee experience and culture and some of the other initiatives that, that, that I know she's, she's, she's kind of pushing forward at, at the bank as well. So it must, yeah. be, a, it must be a great help. It's, it's brilliant. It's, it's what you dream for as a people analytics leader to have that, that, that level of endorsement, advocacy. But as I say, I say it's not just the words that no. she says, it's the actions. actions it's, yeah. She role models it completely every single day. Her, her appetite for data and insights um, is fantastic. And the rest of HR can see that. It's, vis it's tangible. It's visible to us all. Um, and so everybody else then says, well, look, that's the, that's the way... That's the expectation. That's what we have to do, and um, and that's it's it's changing definitely. You know, majority now, if not all of HR, um, from my perspective, in, in Standard Chartered, is now absolutely aware of the importance and criticality of data. They totally get it. Some of them absolutely have the competence and confidence to be data centric. Uh, there are some, of course, they get the they get the value, they get the importance of it. They still need some more help and support yeah. uh, to build their to build out the, the skills. 
but I don't think there's anybody left in HR in Standard Chartered who doesn't get this at all. That mm. uh, still says no, data is not the future. That doesn't exist. And most most HR professionals, and we did some research at Knights Future a couple of years ago. They actually want to. Learn. They want to learn this. They, they, it, sometimes it is a confidence thing. Sometimes it's that companies aren't providing them with the tools so they can acquire these skills. Uh, and sometimes it's not in the culture. I mean, you're basically all those three areas are, are covered in, in the work that, that you're doing now. And, you know, with with Tanush, with the tools that you're providing in the variety of different ways for people yeah. to learn. And, um, but it's equally, it's not just about the skill sets of of the HR colleagues. No. that's that's a part of it. It's about the technology that we're using. It's about the availability of data. Um, and that's why it's critical for analytics leaders like myself to really understand what, what are the blockers um, that HR professionals have in, in accessing the data, understanding the data, interpreting the data, using the data effectively in their roles. It's not enough for people analytics leader to say it's up to them to upskill themselves. It's it's not just a, it's not just about skills. It's about access. Give them the tools Give, and the means. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I had lots of conversations with with my peers in HR to better understand you know those blockers because I can see they've got the skills. Many of them do, but what are we not? giving them, maybe we need to give more of in terms of uh, availability to the data they need and the format they need it, the time they need it. Um, that That's just as critical as the upskilling element. Of, yeah. Uh, it's incumbent on us to learn what HR professionals need in their day-to-day work. And yeah. then we design tools that actually support that. Yes. That's really yes. important. Yeah. So you talked a little about the role of the CHRO and, you know, in the research that you kindly contributed to, um, the finding was that 90% of CHROs now expect um, a data-driven culture in HR. Interestingly, the same research found that 60% of people analytics leaders felt it was their responsibility to help bring that forward. Um, I'd love to hear your views on, on the difference between the role of the CHRO and the people analytics leader in developing this data-driven culture for HR. Obviously, they have to work together, but I'd love to you know, see the difference. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's it, the two coming together will absolutely help. You know, it's it's back to the the tone from the CHRO, the expectation setting, the role modeling, the you know, the, the actions, not just the words. That that all sets the uh, environment, if you like, the context, which then the people analytics leader can can leverage from. Um, and then again, the people analytics leader, it's it's there to help with the upskilling, but equally it's there to ensure that the users have got access to the to the data they need, the tools they need. Uh, but actually, I think it's broader than just the CHRO and the people analytics lead. Mm-hmm. It needs to it needs to have more depth and breadth to that. So, you know, I think the and we see this at Standard Chartered as well. Is the the HR leadership team have got a big part to play in this, and, and thankfully are at, at, at Standard Chartered. So, them leaning in, challenging me and my team to ensure that we're providing them with the, the access to the data that they need, the tools that they need, challenging their teams. To ensure that they're engaging with my team, that they're coming to us with use cases, that that they're being data centric, it, it's really that triumvirate between the CHRO, the people analytics leader and their team, and then the HR leadership team. Because if you get that breadth and that depth, yeah. then again you're firing on all cylinders, and you're touching every part of HR. Yeah, it, it reaches across and down into the function. Yeah, yeah. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused 
and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with Steve, where he shares his vision for the future of people analytics. So a couple of questions to finish off. I mean, what's your, I'd love to hear this, you know, because we've, we've known each other for years now. What, what's your vision for the future of the people analytics field and, and data-driven HR? Well, I, to, to me, it comes back to value. It's the, it's the obsession with, with value. It's a good obsession to have. <laughs> uh, my team probably tell me, I, I, I just stopped talking about the value, but I can't. That, that's what it has to be. And for me, I think it's about um, more tangible evidence of the realisation of value. That's what really excites me. Yeah, I, I read lots and lots of articles and blogs and LinkedIn and, and lots of use cases that are talking about the potential realisation of value, but I think it comes down to the actual delivery of that value, that impact. Um, so I think you know, my vision for, for the disciplines, if you like, is that there's increased uh, awareness of uh, examples or evidence of really significant impact value delivered to organisations, delivered to colleagues that were driven through people inside analytics. Yeah. Can't say it any better than that, really. And one of the areas where people analytics is increasing adding value is, a, is around the topic of employee experience. And this is the question we're asking everyone on this series. So um, I think you might be one of the might be the second person to get to this one. Okay. So, and the question we're the question we're asking is, what is the future of employee experience in twenty twenty two? So I think this is probably beyond just twenty twenty two. It'll 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 take us further into that. Um, and I'm sure others have said this before, but for me, it's about hyper personalization. Um, I'm thinking about you know how do you translate the experience of life outside of work into, into work. Uh, I, at, at home I get you know, Netflix recommendations and Spotify recommendations as to you know, what I've listened to or watched that therefore informs why I, I, I would maybe be interested in uh, looking at or, or listening to. I, I got a, a reminder from Moonpig the other day to tell me that it was my cousin's birthday um, to uh, make my life easier and avoid the embarrassment of missing his his birthday, I wish they'd done the same for my wife's anniversary, <laughs> and I uh, I didn't get I didn't get that reminder. Um, but all those all those um, they're making my life easier, aren't they? That's that's the whole point. And so why would, could we not get more of that in in a work context? So um, whether that's recommended learning, recommended career pathways, recommended um, well nudges, even behavioural nudges as a people leader. Just kind of prompts in the way I got a Moonpig prompt. Just a prompt. You, you've not spoken to this colleague for a while face to face. Why don't you set up a meeting? That can all be automated. Even communications that we receive. Mm. My emails that I receive outside of work are all very personalised, aren't they? They they know exactly what I've been um, exploring, maybe from shopping sites, and and so then it's targeted to follow up on that. Why couldn't that be translated into? Um, into the work more, and I, I know it is. It's starting to, but I think this will accelerate. I think this will ramp up, um, and I think to make it, you know, uh, to, for this to be materialised, I think this is going to come down to employee experience teams 
working in strong collaboration with people analytics teams and employee listening teams. It's, it's that, again, a triumvirate, those three mm. uh, really coming together to, uh, to listen to colleagues, to understand their expectations around their employee experiences, uh, and then to, yeah, using data insight and analytics to, to inform the roadmap of change to, uh, to deliver that uh, hyper-personalization. It's like you would, back to what we were saying at the start around the skills data. If you've got good skills data, you can provide good recommendations for employees yep. on learning, learning and career paths and everything else. So, yes, fascinating, uh, and certainly, you know, certainly something we're seeing employee experience and employee listening in particular, really, and people analytics coming together very much closely. Obviously, again, sorry, we have to talk about COVID again. Um, in, in the last two years, lots of yeah. employee listening and understanding how employees are feeling, and then actually communicating that to leaders so they can make decisions. Um, which are employee-centric. So, uh, and value-adding. And value-adding. That's a nice <laughs> point to finish. So, Steve, thanks so much for being a, a guest on, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast, the first one we've recorded in person Thanks for a couple face, of years, yeah. so it makes it extra special. Thank you um, for having me. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and, and, and follow you on social media if, if you do social media? You did mention LinkedIn. So. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> uh, you can find me absolutely on, on LinkedIn. Um, and hopefully, you know, the conference... Circuit will open back up again face to face. I've been uh, speaking or attending lots of virtuals. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit for them to become real again yes. in the future. So uh, if you see me at one of those, come and come and say hello. Great, Steve. Thanks very much for being on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. As always. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to produce the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for episode three of this series, where I'll be joined by Melissa Aronte, Employee Experience Practice Lead at Medallia. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.